Welcome to Education Matters presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Tom Williams. At a time when COVID-19 still presents a significant public health threat, education leaders are working hard to develop plans to keep students physically safe through a variety of remote and in-person learning options for the upcoming school year. But we must remember that there is work to be done to ensure the social and emotional well-being of our students and educators as well. Today on Education Matters, we talk with leaders with the Public School Forum's Resilience and Learning Project, as well as school counselors and a social worker to learn more about what we need to do to ensure the social and emotional well-being of our school communities across the state. I'd like to welcome to the show Elizabeth DeConti, the director of the Public School Forum's North Carolina Resilience and Learning Project, and Stacy Craig Riberty, a consultant and licensed clinical social worker with the project. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Great. Thank you. Elizabeth, can you tell us a little bit about the North Carolina Resilience and Learning Project? Sure. So our project came out of um, one of the public school forums study groups that was focused on the impact that childhood trauma has on learning and behavior, specifically in the school setting. So we launched our project in 2017 and have done some level of training and coaching in about 23 districts across the state, a number of which are in Eastern North Carolina. But the, the goal of the project is to help schools become tra more trauma-informed, to help them create safer and more supportive learning environments for all students and all staff. So we do training around trauma-informed schools, um, talking about trauma, what it is and its impacts, and then how schools can work to build student resilience. And then we provide coaching with core leadership teams within schools to help take that next step beyond training and awareness and really focus on creating action plans and putting in place new change and new strategies. Excellent. Um, Stacy. Um, obviously COVID-19's impact on this current school year and in all likelihood moving forward into the new school year has been profound. Um, as you look ahead, what are you thinking about in terms of balancing the importance of the physical safety of our students and our staff, uh, but also ensuring that we consider their mental and emotional well-being uh, as well for both the students and the staff? One of the main standouts to me is that, of course, um, health um, and safety of every student is paramount, but that goes beyond just stopping a virus. Um, while it's important, we've known from years and years of science, um, including Maslow's hierarchy and, and others, that um, human needs and even brain functioning operate in a hierarchy. So um, we can think about educating and growing a healthy child, um, much like we would building a house. Um, and safety cues, um, the ways that a child really feels safe um, and connected. So safety cues in the environment, like spaces come from, from within themselves, they got enough to eat, and from others around them, like the people around them are doing okay and really care about them. All these things are like the foundation of that house. Um, and without that foundation, we don't have health, we can't get to learning. In fact, um, when those safety cues are not present, um, when things are um, upended, a little shaky, not normal, and um, they're not counteracted by these, these unconscious cues to the brain that kids are safe, um, that immediately and unconsciously registers as a threat um, to the minds of kids, to the minds of everybody. Um, and throws the body into a state of crisis. And if that crisis is chronic, 
um, it can have really detrimental effects that impairs learning, it delays development, it erodes health, um, and even uh, suppresses the immune system. So it makes us more likely, not less likely to get sick. So when we're thinking about what schools really need to focus on, then we really need to wrestle with the reality that in order to get to learning, in order to keep kids healthy and safe, we really need to be prioritizing the safety cues um, and, and the things that help us experience safety and get to a state of, of learning and, um, and health. And that's for staff and for students. So, so really thinking about how to engage the community about what the needs are um, and planning in the situation um, of how to design school to, to meet the context where not only are our kids and families dealing with the everyday trauma, the daily pain of systemic racism, for example, but on top of this, life has been upended for everybody in a global pandemic. And so, you know, the safety cues have dropped and, and things are really upturned for everyone. So we really need to, to make that the priority. It sounds like from that, uh, we've talked about how important parent involvement is and parent relationship with the school is. It sounds like that's even more paramount now to make sure that the school and the parents are communicating together. Absolutely. Um, Elizabeth, the Department of Health and Human Services um, just released their interim guidance uh, this week on reopening our schools. Uh, one recommendation is for the schools to increase their capacity to deliver social support services to our students and by increasing the number of on-site social workers. Can you kind of weigh in on both the value of that as well as the challenges that um, face and associated with accomplishing that recommendation? Sure. I mean, I think it's, to Stacy's point, we know that kids are going to need more support socially, emotionally, and mentally. Um, and so increasing staff positions that provide that, like more social workers on site will be really critical to meeting those additional needs that kids are gonna have and that staff are gonna have as well. Um, I know another similar recommendation came with a bill signed into law earlier this week around districts being required to create um, more detailed mental health plans, how they're gonna provide training around mental health support and suicide risk assessment for students. Also really critical, critical and very important um, to be able to provide that. So great recommendations that are certainly extremely needed right now and very important. I think the, the two challenges come in um, where recommendations are important, but we also need funding to back those up. So increased funding to provide for those added social work positions, increased funding for adequate training around mental health that's going to be required for school staff. And then also time. We're already hearing from a number of schools that we work with that teachers are feeling stressed about knowing that school is going to start earlier, that a lot of their planning and prep time and the typical professional development time that they have at the beginning of the year is going to either be taken away because of an early start or um, their time is going to have to be spent on some of the protocols needed around reopening schools safely. Um, so finding more built-in time for that PD and for onboarding new staff will be really important. Um, but certainly great recommendations that are critical, but just need some of that funding and that time to back them up. So throughout the conversation, it's obvious that the professional development of the people in the schools is really critical. So Stacy, in an effort to reach um, more schools and children uh, through those staff members, I know you've helped develop some online 
uh, learning modules uh, for school leaders as well as um, educators to have their schools become much more um, aware of and trauma-informed uh, in terms of how they operate their school. Uh, sounds like a critical tool for North Carolina to ensure more kids are able to weather the effects of COVID-19. Tell us a little bit more about your online professional development. Yeah, so the, the Resilience and Learning Project has for a while been focused on expanding access to our services across North Carolina. And our partnership with Participate um, and that online platform and organization has been really key to that. And so we have an introductory online course um, that's been made available. And what that offers um, is for, for whoever wants to take it, um, a team within a school, um, each person can go through the information at their own pace, but then also throughout the course, get a chance to meet together to reflect on the information and be able to talk about how they can apply it. Um, and when it comes to our play in the summer and the situation with um, the need for more remote options and, and more flexible options in general for professional development, we're looking to develop more modules with a lot of relevant um, topics and issues right now, and then to continue offering um, Zoom reflection meetings to teams to still build in that connection piece and the, the discussion piece. We also are facilitating an online um, community where anyone within our networks of schools can come, learn from each other, seek out resources, and offer support to one another. Very good. We've got a little bit, uh, just under two minutes left in our segment here. So, um, Elizabeth, and then perhaps Stacy, what are some of your ideas for strategies to still incorporate the social emotional learning skills um, when the development of those skills has traditionally taken place with the students in a face to face environment? How do you incorporate that uh, and collaborate with parents and students in a remote environment or during the summer break? So one thing a lot of districts have done prior to COVID, but also more since, is looking at their multi-tiered system of support, their MTSS system, and thinking about how social-emotional learning can tie into that, just the way they use it for academics and behaviors. So I think even more important, looking at those tier one and tier two and tier three interventions and thinking about what are creative ways that if we are continuing to be remote or we're in person, but having to factor in social distancing, can we tweak some of those strategies and make sure we have a number of supports for the whole school, but also looking especially at those tier two and th tier three supports for students we know are gonna need extra intervention and extra support. Stacey, we've got about a half a minute left. Your final thought on that. Well, my final thought is that um, we need to focus on seeing kids as in need of play and play as critical to learning because play really allows us to connect with one another. And so when we're thinking about basic needs of making sure kids feel safe and connected, adults too, um, even though it doesn't feel very playful times, we need to think creatively about how we can connect with each other and play can be really important to that. And that's a good thing to do. Um, Thank you both for being here with us today. And after the break, we'll be joined by school counselors and a social worker from Johnston and Nash counties. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank, serving others, enriching lives. now are Garfield Martin, a school counselor at Cooper Academy in Johnston County, Carmen White, a school counselor at McGee's 
Crossroads Elementary School, also in Johnston County, and Yvette Richardson, a school social worker serving two schools in the Nash Rocky Mount School District. Thank you each for being with us today. As leaders who support the well-being of students while they're at our schools, what's your greatest concern as you think about the reopening of school in the fall and when you consider uh, the impact of COVID-19? So the greatest concern that I have is the mental health needs of our students, um, and not just our students, but also the families, the staff as well, and the broader community, because the, you know the work of resiliency informs us that there's been a jolt to our system that you know takes us to a place where we don't operate in an optimal way. So just thinking about our students coming back, having been jolted by COVID, jolted by isolation, some of them jolted by already in a jolt of, of poverty and, you know, living in low economics, job loss of family, just these, um, you know, multiple things that cause trauma that we know to cause trauma. Our students are going to be coming back with their buckets full. Not to mention the teachers who, you know, have been also jolted. Um, so the mental health needs, being able to assess it and then also provide some support for them and their families. Garfield and Carmen, a quick word on your biggest concern. Yes. Um, for me, it's probably the same thing, the, the mental health needs, um, being able to deal with students um, when it comes to social distancing, having to wear masks. You know, some students may not want to wear masks. So just being able to deal with the day-to-day -day issues that students may have just dealing with distancing and um, the cleanliness and the sanitation of the school. Carmen? I totally agree. Um, the mental health issues of both staff and students are my main concern. Um, there's already been documented um, higher levels of anxiety and depression among children in um, China who were involved in lockdown in their homes. Right. So I'm anticipating that we'll see higher levels of anxiety, depression. Um, we may have to deal with students who are suffering from um, separation anxiety as they're going to be separated from their parents after being with them for months. Right. Um, so these are some of the things that I'm, I'm also really concerned about. So Garfield, let, uh, share with us a little bit about what your thoughts on ideas of how you have been able to or plan to modify social emotional learning skills for the reopening of the school year? I think one of the things we have to do is we have to start focusing on, you know, with the COVID and we're putting different things going on with it, we have to be able to find ways to support students by, you know, having maybe small support groups um, that encompasses some of those different techniques or strategies that can be used for them, um, maybe some parent support groups, um, different things like that. Carmen, uh, we mentioned a little bit earlier, talk a little bit about staff support, um, knowing that we may have uh, even uh, continued emphasis on remote learning in the fall. What do educators need in terms of support in that environment, both from an academic standpoint as well as from a staff wellness perspective? The main thing that our educators need is to be encouraged. This has been really difficult for many of us, and um, they need to be validated um, that they this work that we're doing um, is, is very important um, and that they need to continue to be supported. I think our district has done a really good job in providing training for teachers on um, platforms for teaching online. 
So they need to be continue, continuing to have the, the resources that they need. Um, but I really think that um, many of our adults are traumatized. Um, I, I want to share, um, just a couple days ago, I spoke to one of my sisters who is an ESL teacher in South Carolina. And during the conversation, she started crying and saying, when is this going to end? Um, and I know all of us can handle really hard things for a short time when we know that there's an end, but we don't know when this is going to end, the social distancing, the remote learning. And so it's, it's really difficult for all of us. Right. Yvette, um, we know that we've got some students coming back this fall, uh, and you mentioned earlier that have really been isolated and perhaps experiencing more trauma than normal. Um, and in light of COVID-19 and most recently uh, George Floyd's uh, murder and the resulting protest, there's an added layer of trauma being experienced, especially for our students of color and our black students. Uh, what can we do, especially in a possibly remote learning environment to help support our black students and families with this unique reality that they face? I think there's a couple of things. I think one that it, we need to acknowledge what's going on. Um, and, and it's a tough conversation for some people, but I think there needs to be some intentionality around reaching out to families um, and just having, creating a space and having a discussion, um, getting their input as to how they're feeling about what's happening and then looking for some spaces where Work can be done. I mean, school systems, I think, need to examine policies that um, are inequitable and then talk about what they're going to do about it um, and then make the necessary changes. But I think communication, it starts with communication. The dialogue needs to happen. It needs to continue. And then, again, an intentional reaching out to our Black families to just say, you know what, we, 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 we're standing with you. We're here with you. We're standing with you we want to see something done about the oppression in our society as well. Very good. Well, I'm going to come back to each of you and, and ask you, and we'll start maybe first back with you, Garfield, about what do you think it is that we should be doing to help our kids feel safe about coming back to school? And how do we keep uh, parents and teachers even feeling safe about coming back to school? We got to start, we got to have conversations. We have, I think schools need to put out standards um, of what is going to be, you know, what are the facilities going to look like when students come back? You know, what are the sanitations going to look like when they come back into the school? You know, and I think a lot of this is going to, is going to come uh, once information from the higher headquarters comes. I think, you know, giving teachers and giving the, the parents the information that they need to know um, what's to be expected when they bring their babies back, I think that's where we need to go. Carmen, what are your thoughts? I, I agree with Garfield. Um, and we, we really need to help our students um, and our staff um, feel, feel safe. And um, I think maybe we should take our cue from daycares that have continued to stay open and look at some of their, their guidelines. Um, I also recently heard about a suggestion that schools try to do something fun for students before we focus on academics, perhaps have some kind of festival at school outside where students can come back and begin to have that emotional bridge of belonging again at school and meeting their friends and teachers um, in, a, in a safe environment. 
Yvette, how about you? Yeah, I, I agree with, with both what Garfield and, and Cameron has uh, said. And I, I think it's going to be uh, as much as we can assure people that protocols are being followed and they're being followed consistently. And that goes, um, you know, speaks to the cleaning of buildings because with that, I imagine you'll need more resources, cleaning supplies, maybe even more staff personnel to do the level of cleaning that would be needed. I know for me to feel safe, um, as as well as sending my own children back into a, an environment where I feel safe. Um, I need some assurance that those things are, are happening, the protocols that are put into place. Um, and it, it, it's a daunting challenge. <laughs> gonna, gonna give each of you about 15 seconds and put you on the spot Thinking back to the school year prior to going to remote learning, what was one of the things that you treasure most about your time at school with students this past year, that special moment or activity? For me, it was um, it was being around being around the students, just walking up and down the hallways, being able to interact with them, being able to go into the classroom. So for me, it's just, you know, not having that, you know, not having that student presence all day long. Carmen? 15 seconds, one of those special moments from the year just before uh, we released on March 13th. I had a great opportunity to run several small groups this year and saw a lot of student growth in social emotional learning. And that was really a highlight. And I miss the students. I miss being with them. Yvette, you're going to get the final word. <laughs> I think for me, too, it's just that connection. I mean, it's so important, the connecting with, with students and being able to, being able to support them as well as their families and staff. So this, just the connection between everyone is, is certainly missed. Well, on behalf of Education Matters and the Public School Forum, thank you for what you're doing each and every day in your schools, in your community. It's been our pleasure to get a chance to sit down and uh, visit with you today. Thank you very thank much. You. After the break, this week's final word. For most of our traditional public school students and parents, this week marks the start of the official summer break. After what I suspect will be remembered by all of us as the most unusual 13 weeks of our school experience, summer 2020 presents a change in the daily routine of remote learning and hopefully will ease some of the pressures caused by both COVID-19 and the most recent trauma caused by seeing or experiencing firsthand acts of racial injustice. While this natural change of pace is welcomed by many students, for our most vulnerable students, time away from the support of the regular school year schedule and relationships can be a time when these students are confronted with circumstances that can lead to food insecurity, loneliness, limited reading and learning opportunities, and even unsafe conditions. In a recent CDC Kaiser Permanente study on ACEs, or Adverse Childhood Experiences, 64% of 17,000 participants reported experiencing at least one adverse childhood experience. The more ACEs a student is dealing with, the greater the likelihood that student will face negative academic, behavioral, and health outcomes. Teachers in schools, such as those partnering with the Public School Forum's Resilience and Learning Project, are designing trauma-informed classrooms in schools to put in place social and emotional learning practices that will equip teachers and students with the skills they need to negate the impact of ACEs both in and out of school. These skills empower our students at an early age 
to identify their stressors and how their response to them allows them to handle such situations to positively impact their learning, personal relationships, health, and mental well-being. After a five-month hiatus from the regular routine, as schools prepare for reopening in mid-August, let's be purposeful as a state and local community in recognizing that individual students will return with a range of social and emotional learning needs. These student needs must be addressed on an individual basis to ensure all students will be prepared to meet the rigor of the academic program as well as new school expectations for health and safety from the buses to the ball fields. Thanks for watching and we'll see you next week.